Hi everyone, welcome to Huddle Home Office. I'm Mark Legere. On this week's show, I'm speaking with Fredericton singer-songwriter David Miles. David has won many East Coast Music Awards and Nova Scotia Music Awards. He records and performs across many musical genres, jazz, roots, pop, hip-hop, and holiday music. I've seen David perform many times. His live shows are high energy, and he's a great storyteller. I've seen him do his own shows at the Imperial Theatre in St. John, performances with Symphony New Brunswick, and lunchtime shows at the mall as part of his Singing for Supper Food Banks campaign at Christmas. The last time Huddle spoke with David, he was still living in Halifax, but he's since moved back to his hometown, Fredericton. We talked about what that move has meant for him and his family. We talked about the impact of COVID-19 on his family and his career. We also talk about the new things he's doing in the midst of the pandemic. He's launched a live talk show on YouTube, Miles From Home, and he has a new album coming out soon. Here's our conversation. Morning, David. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. Well, uh, last time uh, we talked with you, David, it was actually uh, the founder, uh, Alan Gates, had done a podcast interview with you way back in 2016, and he introduced you as uh, coming from the Donaire capital of the world, Halifax, and I know that that's not where I find you this morning. No, I'm surprised you didn't get, um, you know, like responses from the from the Fredertonians in your listenership. They said, no way, man, he's not from Halifax. He's from Fredericton. Well, I have moved home. I have said so now it's clear. Now my identity is is clear. It was complicated for a little while because anytime they said people said I was from Halifax, anybody from Fredericton was like, wait, 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 man, he was born and raised in Fredericton. And uh, so now we're back. It's all it's it's all makes sense now. Yeah, we moved in the summer and uh, and, you know, kids are going to school here in Fredericton and this is where we're living. And tell me what brought you back to Fredericton. Well, it was a number of we've talked about it for years. I loved growing up here. Like I, I've always loved Fredericton. I, I love being in the woods. I like being outdoors. I, I'm a big runner. It's a great city for running and the winter sports and all that kind of stuff. My mom's here. So there was a lot of reasons and we would spend our summers uh, in New Brunswick. And so we've been talking about it for a little while. And and during the pandemic, it became clear um, that my wife's job was more uh, mobile, not necessarily entirely mobile, but most of her stuff was happening virtually anyways, even before the pandemic. Most of her colleagues were in Toronto. And so it became apparent that we could pull this off. And uh, because, you know, her job hadn't changed even during the pandemic. And so we said this was the time. And so within it was like literally three days we were on vacation in New Brunswick. It kind of crossed our minds again. Maybe this was the time my daughter was my youngest is going into kindergarten. And we just said, let's do it. Like it was just that quick. As soon as we realized that this was our moment. We went for it, and within like a week, we sold our house, bought a house. Within four weeks, we were living here, and then, you know, just before the school year started. So it was big, but it was awesome. So so how many kids do you have? Tell me about your kids. I have two kids. I have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. Yeah, she just turned six. So kindergarten and and grade three. Right, so the right time to make that kind of move, they were okay with it? Yeah, well, that's it. And they'd been out of school since March, right? So there was also that, right? There was a bit of distance between their you know, their, their regular and school environment, it was kind of a relatively easy time to make that move, especially before starting kindergarten. We thought, and again, like we had talked about it for a long time, it just became clear that if it didn't happen now, it wasn't really going to happen. Right. There's always going to be reasons 
why not to move to a smaller place professionally speaking you know it's just there was always but the the there was a whole bunch of reasons that that outweighed it this time and we just knew it was the right move and we haven't looked back honestly it's been like pretty clear since getting here that this was the right thing to do Right. And how are you doing with them through the, the pandemic? Uh, I ask as, as a father of an eight year old and a 10 year old. So it's, it's oh, yeah, a you know. question. I know that there, there are good things and there are probably challenges. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's funny. It's been a really, it's been uh, overall, it's been extraordinarily positive, I think for our family because, uh, it created a bit of space for me professionally that I think was needed to refocus on the family. Not that I was, I've always been a family man. I've always been a very dedicated dad. I was, it's not that it's that I was incredibly engaged in my career as I always have been. And my career up to this pandemic has been on the road. That's just what it is. And so you're going and going and going and going. And I was already, um, hitting a wall from an exhaustion perspective. There was already things that I needed to address. I was just going too hard, especially with two young kids. I was burning out. And so this, this just kind of like, it was a wall. Uh, it wasn't me saying needing to say yes or no. It was, everybody was just saying, everything was said, everything said no for me. And I was getting better at saying no, but this just created that wall and it created that space and created that, that, that moment for us to refocus and make these moves, move to Fredericton and, and me think about how I want my career to look like in the next 30 years. You know what I mean? Instead of just going and going and going and saying yes. And I think it really created a moment of pause. So of course there's been huge challenges, but I think as a family, it, we've, it's been positive, uh, you know, and I say that understanding that it's been super hard for, for a lot of people. I'm not, I, I'm not, I don't want to be dismissive of how serious this has been. And there's been challenges, no doubt. Like, I mean, the homeschooling thing, I thought I was going to be a legend. I thought I was going to be awesome at it. I came in so strong. Again, I was like pumped to be off the road, to be home with them. I was like, this is, I'm catching up. Look at all this time. It's just in front of me with these beautiful kids that I love so much. And my parents were teachers. I, you know, I thought I'm a natural born teacher. And then within like a week, I was like, man, this is hard like my standard i was like we're gonna learn french at home i'm gonna teach them you know world history and geography and we named our school and i wore a suit jacket and you know like it was full on and within like a week and a half i was like my bar dropped so significantly as what my expectations were what you know what we would aim to achieve because i realized that it was just so important to focus on as I said, our, our, our primary goal became harmony. That's it. Harmony in, in the family, you know, in ourselves. Just let's just make this work. Let's just get through this, you know, stay calm. And it's not that I was freak. I wasn't freaking out, but I just I realized that if we set ourselves up for if I was I would just be disappointed myself. Let's just get along. Let's just get through this. Let's just enjoy our time together. Set the bar a little lower. Make sure that we're keeping uh, inner peace and inner harmony in the family. Everybody's, you know, keep it as light as possible and move forward and it will feel good. And it, and it was the right move. And so, you know, it was a challenge, but I was lucky. I have lots of friends and I have lots of people who are home, you know, other colleagues who are home with their kids and 
and obviously being in the Maritimes, we've been, you know, our experience with the pandemic has been entirely different than most of the country and most of the world, and that we have still been able to see people, especially at certain points of the year, whether distanced or in our backyard or whatever. And so that's been, a, you know, our experience, again, has been quite different, I think, from the rest of the world. It's important to remember that. So there's been challenges, but ultimately it's been, I, I think we've we've managed pretty well and the kids have stayed positive and I'm, I'm really proud of them yeah my uh my, we we had a similar situation that we you know we had set up you know two little like school rooms basically for them they basically outfitted themselves and we had like a curriculum i say we david but i really think i mean my wife janet right uh i i i pitched in and helped but between the three of them they they set up a curriculum and they stuck to it. They actually did full school days, like working at their desks. And wow. uh, it again, it did start to fray and kind of fall apart. And my son, Jack, confessed to me uh, after the fact that, you know, there were times when he kind of died, kind of did sneak off and kind of play video games. And he really wasn't sitting at his desk doing math. Right. Uh, he admitted he, that afterwards. He, he kind of came clean. Yeah, uh, but but at the same time we were we were the same like we were kind of cocooned uh, the four of us in a house and uh, it it was it was really good. Um, although you know I will say harmony uh, even now harmony does seem like a challenge to achieve. Uh, but actually Ella was one of the things about going into red, which obviously we don't uh, we didn't want to see the province uh, go. Um, is uh, my daughter Ella, you know, who, you know, obviously that that big picture isn't quite there yet. It actually was disappointed the schools weren't closed because right. she actually wanted to go back into that that environment that we had created for ourselves yeah. way back in the spring. So I think for our kids, it was it was a really positive thing. Well, I think that it's just an interesting. You know, again, and we're focusing on the positive. I think it's important from the beginning. I we always said that we it was my philosophy has always been let's let's focus on the things we can do, not the things we can't. You know, there's lots of things we couldn't do at first, obviously, especially if we couldn't go to playgrounds, couldn't go to parks, and you know, in Nova Scotia when we were there. And so there was a lot of things, but it was just always about focusing on the things we could do. And there was still lots that we could figure out and do. But one thing is, I've just realized that. It's made me appreciate how good teachers are <laughs> at, at, at teaching them. You know what I mean? Like I, I, geography was an interesting example, right? Like I was really keen on teaching them the continents and what, you know, countries, provinces, all those kind of things, you know, and just the lay of the land. And, you know, I, I tried, I, I really did. And within like, you know, and then one day this fall, Maria came back and she's like, oh, I learned other continents and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it was like a unit you know it was like an hour-long unit in the class and and the teacher had figured out a way to learn exactly to teach exactly what i was trying to get at but they do it with games and same thing with my daughter who's learning how to read all these kind of things you know they've got skills they know what they're doing they, they know what they're doing and i feel i feel so blessed to have them uh in you know teaching my kids because uh i didn't have those you know it's not just it's not just as simple as being with them you know they really there are ways to teach kids and their games and there's methods and all those kind of things and it's cool when you see them in action after you tried them for sure and, and my wife janet's uh parents were both teachers and so uh and she has a teaching degree but just never practiced as a teacher never did teach and and so no we we very much uh we we thank our teachers now when we see them all the time not that we didn't appreciate them before because we did especially coming from a family of teachers uh but you it really hit home with that 
with the pandemic, just just how difficult that job is uh, yeah. with, with kids that age, right? Um, well, kind of, I'll use my kids as a way to segue to talking about your music. But um, I, you know, I'd be remiss, David, if I didn't bring up how big a fan my kids are of, of you. Um, when I told them earlier this week uh, that we were chatting Friday, they were so excited. Um, I, I kind of, I, uh, I'm sure this was the same in your house, but kind of as they were growing up, I was just always playing them Canadian musicians, uh, it, just because I was listening to them. So we were always having that battle of they listened to their music and I listened to my music. And it was always a bit of a war of who won uh, in the car and at home. They usually won. Uh, but there was a lot of bridge musicians, ones where we found common ground and, and that they loved just as much. And uh, so we ended up listening. You were you were a favorite. So wow. we listened to a lot of your music uh, while they were growing up because I just loved you. And um I have like one image that's really strong in my mind is um, is don't drive through. We would uh, sit at the kitchen table at supper and and it became a thing where at one point we had to put that. There's a, a live version that you'd done as part of a live record. And uh, we would put that song on and the, t- the two of them would like race around the table <laughs> singing that's it. That's great with you that's great <laughs> they were i can't remember how young they were david now but they were they were pretty young at that point and and the other big memory i have um was last last february uh we went to a hockey game at harbor station here in st john where we live and uh, td had arranged to have classified uh fly in and and play in between periods and there's a massive snowstorm that night and it ended up canceling the hockey game itself and because the Halifax Mooseheads were supposed to come and and uh, and and play against the Sea Dogs, uh, the kids got it in their minds that you were on that bus and that you were coming with the Mooseheads and that because you were still in Halifax at the time and that you were going to perform with Classified. And of course, they love Classified too because of course because they listen to the the pieces that you did um, with Classified. And uh, anyway, I was trying to. Con- convinced them you didn't come out and they thought it was because you've been derailed by a snowstorm i'm realizing now talking to you that it was a fiction you weren't actually supposed to be part of that show no i wasn't i wasn't uh, but i you know i'm glad that they were uh they were eager to see me that's good that's not a bad were. thing and classified of course was amazing <laughs> it was a great oh, show yeah, he's great. And, and we ended up it ended up being a concert david because there was no hockey game and to, to appease the fans they went ahead with that portion of it and I think they ended up performing longer than they were supposed to, uh, partly because, well, everybody was gathered there for the hockey game, but let's give them a good show. Yeah, uh, I remember I talked to him after that show. I think he called me and just said, oh, wow, you know, we're in St. John. That was such a wild thing because the game was canceled. But, you know, so I are, mean, your, are your kids are your kids big fans of yours? Well, they're, I don't know if they're big fans of mine, but um, but they there are certain songs that they, you know, that they really do enjoy i would say they do you know i think i don't know if that will always be the case but you know they definitely are supporters <laughs> it's pretty cool actually right now i mean i i kind of i certainly don't take it for granted because i don't know if it will last forever there's going to be a time when they think i'm the biggest nerd ever or they figure out that i'm the biggest nerd ever but you know it's cool they they love Santa never brings me a banjo that's like a, a big thing and you know for for kids and and for i think a lot of people and that was such a a gift to have that song and 
to have a song that resonates with kids so much it's crazy you know the kids in my in my it, it, like that are in class with with my kids they they love the song too and obviously inner ninja and it's just really interesting to see you know you make art you make all this stuff and you don't know where it's going to resonate you don't know how it's going to resonate with people and and if you think about that too much you just won't do it right you just can't but you have to put it out and you hope that someone is going to, you know, and so when, when people latch onto these things, it means so much, especially kids, because I was one of those kids, right? I was one of those kids who was constantly searching for music, constantly listening to music. And my goal, you know, even though I say I was, I'm always trying to make art that's just for, you know, without knowing where it lands, I have always dreamed. And I've said it from the very beginning when I was making records with Charles Austin, you know, my second and third record, we kept on saying, you know, you want to make a type of record that the parents in the front seat want to listen to as much as the kids in the back seat want to listen to. There's something for, you know, and then the teenager who is really into a certain type of whatever, like psychedelic music can still get something because I'm, I'm tr you know, we're, we're trying to make it interesting. It's not, I don't want to be making kids music, but I also don't want to be making music that they can't relate to you know what i mean I, you want it to be catchy and i'm finding it really interesting now to listen to music with my kids as they get older and choose their own music as you said having that conversation about whose music it is and just to hear the things that they resonate what that, that that relate to them and resonate with them and and it's pretty cool you know i've actually become a huge i've always loved pop music but i find myself totally enjoying uh listening to pop music with them all the time now, you know what I mean? Um, but I, it's one of the things I would say I'm most proud of is that, that, you know, my music can, when I do shows and, and there are parents, grandparents and their kids all together. And it's the same thing when people listen to the record at home. And I often get notes from people that say that. And to me, that's, that's the thing I'm probably, I would say most proud of. It's just that cross-generational, you're it's just popular. Just, it's just amazing. It's just, it's, I think it's just also that, I mean, I think it's just that you want to make, I don't know if it's that I'm, I'm popular because I think there's artists that are way more popular. You know, there are, I mean, there's, I'm not that, I'm not a huge star, but it's that it plays a role in people's families in a different way, you know, because they, because you, as you can, you can listen to it at your dinner table with everybody and you have these memories and, and more and more people come up to me and, and they say they have those stories of, well, especially, you know, especially, you know, at, at, at Christmas time, we listen to your Christmas record over and over as a family. And this is what we do every year. And you and that that's just such a cool thing to become pe part of people's traditions as a, as a family. I think it is different than just being popular. Um, but I think it's, it's just about trying to make music that resonates with all sorts of different people and not being too concerned about, uh, you know, hitting a demographic so perfectly that it becomes a huge smash. You know, it's not like Santa Never Brings Me a Banjo is actually a big song. That's the funny thing, right? It's a, it's a big song for those who know it and those in the Maritimes or like across the country who've heard it. But it's not on big Spotify playlists. It, it You know, it's not it's never been on commercial radio. It's not it does. And all of the indicators of what would make a hit, it's nowhere to be seen. Same thing with Don't Drive Through. Same thing with When It Comes My Turn. All of like most of my big songs are songs that are like essentially campfire songs that have spread through people coming to my shows, taking the record home and playing them at home. And, and so there's 
it's you know it has the feel of a hit because people know it and kids know it and, and this but it's 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 very specific it hasn't been it has it's not a function of like a of being part of the industry or like I'm, I'm part of the industry don't get me wrong but that the songs have had i've had much bigger songs in other capacities by by way of radio and videos and, and the more traditional methods of, of spreading a song but those songs they play a very special role in my heart because they've they've grown kind of like totally organically they've totally you know they're not and every christmas i'm kind of reminded of that because you see it on the playlists you know it doesn't show it's not on those playlists it's not on even canadian christmas playlists nowhere to be found you know but in my mind or in my experience that song resonates with people and i still hear from people every year and it's a huge part of what fuels my career and same thing with when it comes to my turn same thing with you know there's these songs but they, but again, like if you were to look at the industry from the outside, which is probably what you find a lot when you're having these conversations, you wouldn't know that, right? You wouldn't know that if you were looking from the outside. Someone in 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 Toronto who's looking at the metrics of my business would go, okay, well he's so blind was on the radio. Inner Ninja was a big song, but that's not necessarily those are those were super important to my career. But then there's this whole other thing that you end up doing that ends up sustaining. It's kind of like the meat of your business, right? Like it's kind of like those are the things that really create that connection with people who come to your shows and bring their families and bring their parents and come back and they want to hear that song. And that's really, really cool over the long term to start to realize what's which ones of those songs what songs are, are the ones that, that that play that role that create that base of of real fans, the people who are with you, you know, and those are the ones that allow you to have a creative business, you know, for a long period of time. Now, you obviously you know, feed off the energy of, of those of those fans and and those live performances. I mean, I've seen so many of yours, your shows and from, you know, symphony orchestra shows to your bigger shows to your to the when you, you you know you when you come to St. John as part of the Christmas tour, you know you play in a mall and hundreds of people gather around you, right? But there's always a similar kind of of energy, and I know uh, that you know you have shows scheduled for St. John at the beginning of February. Um, how how are you doing uh, in in terms of your inability right now to connect with people in those in those larger shows? Well, it's been, I'm doing, I'm doing okay. You know what I mean? Honestly, it's, uh, well, I don't think the shows in February are think, I think they're going to be postponed. It, it looks basically we're, you know, being where we're at. It's been, I think now we're at a stage where we're so used to this to a certain degree, like in terms of like, it's not like, I don't think anybody's like massively disappointed. You have to face the reality. As, as you said, you focus on the things you can do, not the things you can't. If you can't do the show, you can't do the show, figure out when we can do it and how we can do it safely. Um, you know, get having a, it's just been really interesting because performance has been such a huge part of my life. I love entertainment. I love performance. I've never shied away from it. I've never, I like writing songs. I love doing the creative stuff, but, but often I've, the rubber hits the road when I get to go on stage and connect with people. And, and that's always been like that. So it's been interesting to get a, to not be doing that. I, I, I am again, I think I quite enjoyed, I think it was a healthy break for me. It's been this interesting break because with that, no matter how much you love it comes a great deal of pressure. I put a lot of pressure on myself because of 
the type of performance I want to put on. I want the show to cook. I want it to feel super pro. I want it to move. I want it to, and I put a lot of pressure on myself. And I think that again, that was kind of, that was catching up with me. Uh, over, over, it was, it was, and I, I think it was a lot of it was self-imposed. You know what I mean? And I think this break has given me a, 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 a moment to realize how much stress I was carrying constantly about losing my voice, about the inability to perform for whatever reason, about not getting to a gig because of travel, not because of the roads, because of flights, because of whatever, like. There's, there was so much I was carrying all the time to have it go away for a, a moment was like this wild release. You know what I mean? I was sleeping in the same bed for the first time over, you know what I mean? Like for an extended period of time, waking up with a schedule again, like this fear of not getting of, of like not losing my voice. It's crazy how you carry these things with you all the time. And I think that it was an interesting, it took a second and then I started to really enjoy it. I got, I delved really into the creative element of what I, what I want to do. I, I started, got right into writing songs. I got directly into the technical side of recording and connecting with fans in other ways. I've really, I released a record, you know, I still had my record release to happen. So I had, I went ahead and did it and we did it virtually and we did a release party online. And if anything, it reminded me of how lucky I am to have these fans who you do all these shows around the world and you don't know who leaves and is one of those like lifelong fans. And then all of a sudden you do one of those virtual release shows. And there was people from all over the world who would be like, Oh yeah, I saw you in England that time and whatever, you know, there it's all of these different people who then are connected to you and they support you. And I, so I felt so grateful for that. There was, I think right now what I, I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm now approaching the place where I'm getting excited about playing again. It's not that I, but I didn't at first, I quite enjoyed Again, the break, even as the as a guy who loves playing, I enjoyed again just having a break and, and pausing on being on stage and thinking about that all the time. But the other thing is I really miss playing music with people, not necessarily for people, but with people. And I'm it's starting to I'm starting to notice that I'm starting to notice that idea like from the beginning of time since I started playing trumpet in grade four, I played in a band, I played in school band and then I played with my brother and then I played in a high and then I played in a band with friends in high school and then in university, even when I lived and moved in China and within a month I found a band to play with, you know, playing music with people has been a huge part of my life. And it's, I think it's just right now because I've been practicing, I'm still playing all the time. I'm still making music, but the idea of being in the same room, making music with my friends, as, as Willie said, uh, it's like that I'm really starting to notice how much I miss. I can't wait. I can't wait. And I am now I'm starting to get and with that comes, let's get on stage and rock. Let's do this. You know? So I'm get I'm coming around. It's just been a really nice restorative time. I actually think I'm going to come back. My focus on this from the beginning was make sure you come back stronger. There's an option, you know, there's an option here. I can, I can develop bad habits I can, I can, you know, uh, over the next, over this period of time, I can stop practicing. I can stop writing. There's no, you know, but if I stay disciplined, I stay practicing. I, I, you know, I focus on, on a bunch of different things. 
I can come back stronger. I can come back where I can play those shows and feel great about them. And, and the stress of losing my voice or whatever can, I can manage that better and I can sleep better and I can enter, re-enter it in a way that, that will allow me to do it then for a really long period of time. From kind of a, a business perspective of how you approach your music, um, how how has this all af- affected you uh, in terms of how you operate as you know David David Miles the you know in in the business of making music and selling music and touring, and how are things gonna how do you see things looking different for you and for other musicians coming coming out of this who who you know make their living doing this? It's so. It's so interesting. I mean, first of all, I think it's a, this is a, this has been a disaster in many ways for the, for the industry, you know, the industry involves so many different elements. It's like the travel industry. There's so many industries that have been affected, but it's important to think beyond, I think artists like myself to the technicians, the theater staff, all of the auxiliary elements of making a show happen the agents, the management, all of that, the industry side of it relies on income. We all do, you know what I mean? Um, And so that is going to take us so long to rebuild because it's been decimated. And I think it, it will be interesting to see who has been able to, I think in any industry, what we're talking about is when the return happens, who's going to be there? Who's going to be, who's going to be, who's going to, who will have made it through this period of time? Uh, I think we're really lucky to live in a country where people were given support in ways, you know what I mean? That, that hopefully they will be able to continue after this, like they did before. Um, For me, I think it was really about, um, I have a smallish business. I don't have a giant amount of overhead. So, you know, I, I think about it's made me really think about businesses and its scale of businesses and everything else. My, I could scale down quite easily. I, I don't have a giant overhead. I'm not I don't have a giant, you know, payroll and everything else. And like some businesses or tons of inventory or, you know, massive capital investments and rental properties and all of these kind of things that one can have storage spaces. And so I can actually shrink way down. And that's been my focus from the beginning is just kind of go, okay, this is what it is. Let's weather the storm. Let's make sure we don't spend too much. Let's keep our overhead really low. Let's stay creative, find cheap ways to, to, uh, stay connected to fans to make sure that when I do come back, that again, that fan base has grown. If we can build a fan base, at low cost during a pandemic, that's amazing. Without touring, you know what I mean? If I can increase those numbers and people who know what I do and are engaged in what I do, uh, that's a huge achievement. And that's, so that's been my focus, you know, focus on the social media, focus on my, on doing a podcast, starting a talk show on YouTube, doing, you know, the CD release, staying connected. And if I can do those kind of things, which are low cost, if I can do them myself, so I outfitted myself with a lot of, you know, equipment and gear so I could kind of make that initial investment and then try to keep it tight at home. Also, it plays into doing making this business work from Fredericton because I've become a little bit more self-sufficient and I can do this in my house. Um, you know, I think all of that uh, is going to be really important for me in the future. That That will then carry into the next stage. I will 
continue to produce more stuff from here, from my zone. You know what I mean? I, I think I'm going to be a little bit, uh, I, I think in terms of investment, it was going to be a little different in terms of touring is expensive. I had a very expensive business. I think everybody who did, if you're promoting a record, if you're bringing a band around, if you're touring, I mean, we would, and I think everybody, a lot of people are, have businesses like this to, to fly for an interview in New York city is not unheard of fly three people to New York city for a day to do three interviews. And now you look at that and you're like, mm, could we not do that online for zero? You know what I mean? Like you had, you pay for that at some point, right? Like all of those costs, it's not to say they were, they were poor cost. It's what it means to build a business. You go in either you're either you're in or you're kind of, and I think that this is going to be the interesting thing when we come back. Cause all of a sudden everybody's pulled that investment out, but that investment when you put that money in as a business, you're, you're, it's not like the money's just going nowhere. It's going to publicists. It's going to, it's going to all these different things that fuel the economy, that fuel the, the industry. I think what's going to be interesting is how, what those investments look like post pandemic, who's going to be willing to make them. I think from, for myself, I'm in a different stage right now. I, I, I was approaching it, as I said before, I want to be home more. So it's about, for me, the next stage likely with young kids at home is going to be to make my investments, uh, just make very, I'll probably be a bit more conservative in terms of my investments, in terms of how I'm building things, because I want to keep my, my costs low. So I don't need to be on the road all the time to make up for it. You see, I think the big thing about the business, the music business is that we've created a model where the only monetization is on the road. It's a huge issue, huge, huge issue. And this is, and the pandemic nailed it, right? If this was in the 1980s, people had CD sales, people had, there was different sources of revenue coming in and, uh, you know, 20 bucks a CD, 20 bucks a CD, you know, you sell 2000 records, which you could, which I could do on my first record by playing shows and selling them off the stage. That's money. It's money in the bank for, for when you're starting to make that kind of money off streaming requires a completely different scale of business. You know, I, we go back to Santa never brings me a banjo. How much is Santa never brings me a banjo made on Spotify? Probably four bucks, literally probably like four bucks. So what does that mean? What, what, how does that, well, it means you all of a sudden tour musicians need to be out on the road to be making money. And this is why everybody said, okay, well, it's great. You know, streaming services, which I, again, I have, I think they're, I, I like, I use them as a consumer. They're amazing. They're not going anywhere. You know, they're not going anywhere. How we monetize them. Maybe, you know, I think is what we need to talk about the value of recorded music. All of a sudden, all of the recorded music in the world is available at $10 a month and that's normal. And we spend 12 bucks on a bag of coffee. It's amazing. You know what I mean? That's an amazing valuation of, of a product, something that we consider important to us. All of a sudden we get all of it for 10 bucks a month. It's insane. It's an amazing thing as a consumer, but of course it has its repercussions. So how do you, what does the industry look like when you have a place that was monetized by ways of CDs and vinyl records and vinyl, you know, we talk about vinyl, vinyl is, is, it grows. We're always talking about the growth of vinyl. The growth of vinyl is like, 
you know, 1% to 1.4% to 1.6%. It's a tiny portion of the market. That's, that's what I mean. Like the, the, the streaming services aren't, they're not going anywhere. So how do we, cause I love them too. And I like the idea of being able to not reproduce music physically and be able to put my music out on streaming services. I love all of that, but how do you make it work for your business? Some people are, are doing it really, really well. Don't get me wrong. I got lots of buds who do real well, brings them in some income. They're on the right playlists, but it moves, it works, but that's not, that doesn't, that isn't the case for everybody. Uh, regional artists don't get that. It's not a regional model. There's no regional preference. You know what I mean? That's not, that's not how it works. Radio, you know, radio performance royalties are super important. That's a big thing. So can, that can make a big difference. And that was part of the reason why I pushed CBC when the pandemic first happened to say, why don't you go play all Canadian music for a little while? It's, you know, part of your mandate to support Canadian culture. If you did that, then all of a sudden there'd be a line in the business you know, people's bottom line would change slightly because they'd have a monetized portion of their business that isn't touring related because touring was off the table. So that's a long answer, but it's, it kind of gives, I think it should give some perspective. We, we, there was a point at which there were multiple pieces of the pie. And then we created a pie that was almost all touring generated revenue for the artists, for the management, for the agents, for everything else. And then it, we just took it away and we went, oh, wait, with touring gone, what's the music industry? You know, what is it? What, if, if it's recorded music and streaming services, great. But what does that look like for most people who are making art? And how much does it actually, you know, how much money can they make off it? What kind of business can they build? How many people can they pay? How many, you know what I mean? That's the other thing, right? It's not just for the artists themselves. How much, what's the size of their business? How many people can they employ? How, how expensive are the records they can make if the revenue they make from the record is really small? Can they then go to a big studio? Can they then hire two engineers? Can they, you know, it just changes the nature of the industry. For yourself, like you mentioned early on, being able to kind of reflect on what the next 30 years might look like. How does that, and I know it's a hard question to answer right now, but how does that look for you? Do you see just resuming touring as if this hadn't happened? Do you see touring less? Do you, do you have a sense of that? Yeah, I think I'm going to, I think I will tour less for sure. Um, because of, again, because of the stage of life, you know, it's, I'm going to choose carefully for a little while, you know, because I want to be home with my kids and I, and I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to, choose the shows carefully i'm going to focus on certain markets i have certain markets that i really obviously this region will always be be very important to me and i think i'll always do shows here again we were in a very heavy expansion phase and expensive and heavy expansion into america and paying american publicists and touring in the states as much as we could and building the business in america which is expensive and which was awesome and we have great partners down there and I think I'll just, I just had to be a little bit more careful in the next stage, because if you don't tour as much, then you, you don't know, have as much, you know, uh, income to, to pay for the other parts of the business. So I think that it's just going to be a balance. I'm going to make those choices a little differently because my priorities are changing as I get older. I want to be into it. I could see, you know, in 10 years or 15 years as the kids get older, then it might change again and I'll be in another stage. That being said, I think that the ability to stay connected to people and to continue making and creating stuff, if you can find a way to do it uh, affordably, 
is still very much there and and can be done and you can maintain that audience uh by creative you know uh social media and there are ways to do that i'm I, at least that's what i'm kind of banking on right i don't want to be out 50 percent of the year that's not what I, that's not what the next 10 years i don't want that to look like that i don't think it will be good for me i don't think it will be good for my family and i don't think i you know it, it, i want to be into this i want to feel good about every show i put on and i just don't know if that's the answer for me right now but i want to maintain good relationships with the people i work with and you know with my agents in different markets and but i love touring in quebec you know, Quebec would ideally stay part of my world. The the the, the Northeast would be very cool to keep going in, in 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 the states, because it's close. And I'm in Fredericton. Now I can drive down to a lot of those markets once they reopen. Um, I have a radio show in Alberta every week uh, on CKUA, so that would be another thing. I want to develop the podcast. I want to develop the talk show on YouTube. All of those kind of things, I'm excited about. You know, it's just about, uh, you know, ideally finding a way to make it all work. I'm curious because this is this is a, a question that, you know, is asked of anybody in any kind of business in the Maritimes, right, is is uh, it's a relatively small population. So building a business out of here, whether it's a software company or a music business, is all about scale and finding your right markets according to how big you want to be. Um, now you talked about, you know, the making headway in the United States and making efforts to build yourself up there. And I know obviously now that's going to look different for you now that you've had the experience of the pandemic and spending more time at, at home with your family and realizing, you know, as we all do through all that, how valuable it is. Um, what, where, what is David Miles market? Like, where is, uh, who, what's the kind of person that, listens to you uh where are the geographic uh markets for you it's always been well this region has always been it's been places where i've played my career has been almost entirely based off of live performance in terms of really building it you know it's been by playing because i think the show has its own character and that's what people have resonated with so in places where i've had an opportunity to play on big stages it's helped me build an audience i've played at the philadelphia folk festival a few times and had some really the last time we played we played on like a friday night it's a huge festival we got a great slot because we have fans there at this festival you know um getting a chance to play the montreal jazz festival you know the big those big stages can 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 help um you know i think it's what's interesting and i think it, it speaks to what we were talking about earlier too fans of my music have come to it by different means no matter where wherever they are it's not necessarily sometimes they're classified fans it's a real mixed bag it's a real mixed bag i mean the, the my first big break in the music industry essentially was when it comes to my turn i'm getting old and that was my parents but people my parents age who loved that song and they heard it on weekend mornings on cbc and they resonated with them and they came out to my shows and they have been a, the backbone of my business forever since I started has been essentially seniors. And I think, to be honest, that was uh, that was part of the music business that it was completely ignored. Essentially, there's so much focus on hip, cool all the time, youth. And I wasn't doing that. I, I, I like I, I tried to or I wanted to. I was doing what I do, but that wasn't necessarily I was never considered hip or cool. You know what I mean? But I don't look at it now and go, I, I was always grateful to have people who are interested in my music. 
So I think there's that. There's always been this this group of people who are interested in what I do. Even when I play at Philly Folk Fest, there's a there's a relationship there, and I don't know what it is, um, but I appreciate it. And then there's the fans that know me through Classifieds music, and then there's people who just followed me all the way through and kind of are up for the journey. I mean, at a certain point, you kind of say, I, you kind of, I, I had to decide whether I was going to let the audience dictate what music I was going to make and service that audience all the time. So if it was classified fans, I would focus on that sound and go after it. Or I was going to try to build a, uh, a business where people followed me on my musical journey. And I tried to make it as free as possible as like, as, as open and interesting for me as possible. So that meant doing a French record, doing a Christmas record, doing stuff with classified, doing stuff with Alex Cuba, making an instrumental record, which I just made during the pandemic, which will come out in a few months, you know, being like creating a business ideally that allows me to be as creative and open as possible. And at certain point I had to say, Oh, actually from the beginning, I knew that that's what I wanted. That's what everybody wants. I just did. I had to have faith that I could do that. And it might be a smaller number, but then there's people who then follow me on that journey and they're interested in that. And they know me as a person who does, who is on that journey. They might not love every record, but they're on the journey with me and they'll give it a shot and they, and they think it's interesting. And I'm so grateful to have fans that don't bail on me if I try something different, you know? And so that, that it's, again, it's kind of a convoluted answer because I don't know if there is just one fan. I did a thing with classified last night, you know, and I'm uh, online and I was just looking around and going, man, these people actually do know who I am and they're, and it's a different group than, then my parents' friends, you know, that, 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 that come to the playhouse or come to singing for supper, singing for supper, playing those fundraising shows for the food banks is young parents, parents with young, young kids often and seniors because it's at noon and it's accessible and everybody can get there. And it's, and that's been a, a joy, but that has been part of, I think the success of that is that it's a show that seniors could come to that were, they could, they can sit, they can be comfortable. They can, it's at noon. You know, and I think that there was a lot there that 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 has always worked because of that. And it's it's been great. Do you envision being able to because uh, you do have the, the instrumental uh, album coming out uh, soon? Are you going to also tour the one that you that you released uh, last year as well? Because you didn't get a chance to fully tour. That. I know. And that was a big record. I mean, that was the interesting thing, right? Like, the way this kind of like coalesced was that that was the, you know, that was the, a big record for me in terms of focus and cost and business scale. You know, we're talking about scale. That was my biggest scale. Super pro studio took a year at least working with the producer, wrote tons of songs, scaled it back, worked with the band for a long time, had an American publicist, had everything on the go. And so that was the, the biggest scale. And then to not tour it was quite interesting. I think I will. I think I will. I think what's happened is with all of this, and, and it's often been the case with my, because I've serviced so many markets over in these sporadic times, I haven't often done just like, I do sometimes one big national tour, but it's not like I do six weeks of touring and then stop for the rest of the year, which is kind of the traditional way of doing a big tour and a release. I would do, you know, Quebec for two weeks, come back and then do the Maritimes and then come back and then do this. So often I'm 
I am touring the latest record, but I'm also playing songs that I know people want to hear and that I want to play from my previous records. So I'm grateful that there's songs on that record. I will always play, you know, there's, there's, there's four or five songs that I think are among my strongest songs. And I like to play my strongest songs when I play live and they start to become apparent as you live with songs a little longer, which ones are the strong, you know, the strong ones. So whether it be a traditional tour, I don't, we just have no idea. There's a, there is a tour booked for the fall across the country <laughs> that was booked last fall that we just moved ahead, hoping that it would kind of, you know, we don't, we just don't know. What were the most meaningful songs on that, on that uh, record for you? I think that leave tonight is, a is, you know, it's the first song, obviously on the record is the title track. I think that that song is, it's a good song. I think it's a good song. It's it was a song that it sings easily. It's what it's the most interesting thing with music. I think it, I'm sure it happens in most creative pursuits that there's a there's a flow to it. There's a thing now that I come back to it, and the moves are natural. And just like when you feel like you're singing when you sing a cover song, I've been singing these old country songs all the time, and they just move so naturally. That has a a, a melodic quality that I think is strong and so i think that that song will be one that i'll always sing um it just means a lot to me too uh home is a big one because it's stylistically it's kind of specific to to music that i like and it's bluegrass oriented and alan who's been a huge part of the band for a long time and kyle who's you know they're really heavily featured in that track um there's a there's a few of them you know that i think uh young again was another one but i just i think that uh yeah, it's just an, an actually I really there's this song there's an old country song on that called Consider This Goodbye that that took me I love like Jim Reeves in 1950s early 60s country music and that felt like a a victory but victories for me sometimes are like not commercial victories <laughs> it's a very specific style of song and I felt like I nailed it like I felt like when I got to the end of the chorus. And it had like kind of tied together in this poetic bow that I was really proud of and really excited about. But it's like a bow that's very specific to like early country music. You know what I mean? Uh, but that's a that's a that's cool for me. You know what I mean? And so that that holds a special place for me, too. And the, the one about your father. Yeah, that's that was an interesting one. That that was probably the someone actually mentioned it to me yesterday. I was at school dropping the kids off and someone said, you know, I'd never really listened to this song because it's the last song in the record. That song, yeah, we've never performed it live. You know, it was and it, it's an acapella song and it was, you know, it. I think it will be a strong song live. I think the one about that song was so different from any song I wrote because it was so raw. It was so, it was, I wrote that at kind of like the a few months after dad died. And I it was one of those things where I was kind of like, I'm a happy guy. I, I try to take care of myself. I thought when dad died, I thought I got this. I'm an adult. I can raise my kids. I know how to do this. I'm ready. You know, it was early. He was 70. He had a heart attack. It was sudden, but. I was in, I was an adult and that's what happens at some point your parents die. And I thought I justified it. You know what I mean? And that, okay, you know, I'm cool. I got this. It's going to be fine. And then about four months later, I was like, I don't have this. This is actually super hard. 
And I didn't know why, I, because I couldn't rationalize it. I was like, well, no, but I knew this. This is what happens. I'm. This is, you know, your parents die, and then, but there was this huge void. He was a super strong personality. He was a huge part of my life, obviously. Um, and there was a void, and I hadn't dealt with it. I hadn't. I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know how that felt. I didn't. There were so many things I didn't identify because I didn't know how to. And I basically was depressed, and I hadn't. I hadn't quite put it together. Other people were looking at me kind of going, you don't think it has something to do with your dad? And I'm going, no, no, it's fine. It's, it's not that. But of course it it did. And that song I wrote like right at that realization. It was so raw. I don't think I even put a pencil, you know, a pencil to paper. I put on a voice memo and the voice memo was messed up, man. I was crying and it was like, it was a real profound moment of, of trying to, express that feeling and that's what it was it was like there was a there was a weight it's like you're carrying a weight and you don't know what it is and it was weighing me down and i didn't know what it was and i had a feeling it was it was this i just wanted to talk to him and that's it was it was very different even when we recorded that song the producers kind of like made me go there return to the feeling stare into the void stare into that feeling what did it feel like at that moment how does it feel like now what does loss really feel like and it was brutal recording it was crazy man and we had we shut it down we did it at the end of the day because and it, and it just everybody was done after we recorded that song there was everybody was crying we just needed our own space it was the weirdest and most intense experience to have together but you know, you just hope it comes. And I wondered if it was too real. I was like, oh my gosh, you can kind of hear my voice shaking. I thought, is this too much? Like, I don't know if I can put this out there, but at some point you just, you have to decide that that's what it is. And so that's what we did. How how are you doing now? I know. I mean, I asked this on a personal level to some degree because I lost my dad in early 2017 and I still, um, and I, I rode through that. Like, it was funny. I, I, um, I think I was just kind of shocked. So I actually was quite strong through the the period after, right after when he died. And uh, and what I find now is I feel the void more now. Like a mm -hmm. few years later, I feel his absence more now than I did a few years ago. And um, I can't quite describe the emotion of it. Like it's I'm not it's I say the word void, but yeah, it's just feel his absence at at dinner tables, uh, watching the game um chatting about books that kind of thing how, how do you feel now like how are you coping I, I feel like i've turned a corner and and it's a it's positive it's a positive feeling i mean i i there was a lot going on at that time i, I feel like exactly like you you know as you described there was shock my my mom was a she was had flown out west to see my brothers my other brother was out west visiting my other two brothers so everybody was away and i got a call from the hospital here in fredericton i was in halifax your dad just died. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, and they said, well, we don't usually kid about this. <laughs> I was like, good, you know, good point. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm glad you don't. And okay. You know, it was, I was in shock, total shock. I had to drive to Fredericton and for like four days, my, everybody was caught in a snowstorm out West and I was alone in Fredericton walking around like a ghost trying to get ready for funeral or like whatever we didn't even know if we were supposed to have a funeral because he didn't want to have one and so there was there was all this shock and we never really dealt with it i feel like i dealt with i, I didn't deal with it you're always dealing with it but i i i faced it 
around the time that I started writing that song. And then it started to catch up to me in a lot of different ways. And I don't know if it was just dad dying, but me, you know, as I said, hitting that wall, dealing with a lot of different issues that I just hadn't ever really ex- hadn't felt just to de- just depression, essentially, for the first time, realizing fragility and, and mental illness and that it's not just you're not sick or well. It's a scale. <laughs> it's a scale. It's like sometimes we're like, OK, well, I'm not mentally. I mean, I don't have a mental illness because I'm not. I'm incapable of doing anything. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't firing on all cylinders either. And so once I realized that, like, it's like physiotherapy, you know, it's like an, it's like a, you can have a sore knee. You can go to the physiotherapist and do exercises that will make that sore knee better. You don't need to wait until you need a knee replacement. You see what I'm saying? I went to therapy. I I, I was like, okay, well, this is clearly, I'm not my best self here. I'm not, dysfunctional. I was functioning. I was doing my shows. Everything was rolling, but I just didn't feel like myself. And that helped, man. Like it changed my whole perspective on addressing mental illness in my own life, not being afraid to, to, to face it as part of my overall health. I exercise, I go to physiotherapists, I go to doctors. Why wouldn't I try to address and keep my mental health in top shape? And so that was part of it. I became open to that. I had an awesome therapist. She's was super good we talked about lots of stuff it wasn't even that many times but it gave me some tools to kind of deal with it and now i find i've now first of all i know that if if it starts to bug me i i there's there's ways there's things i can do to make work through it i can go to a professional i can talk with someone the other thing is is i'm now i'm back in fredericton i feel it sounds crazy i feel spirit everywhere i'm surrounded by my dad i live in a house that the first time I looked at it, I was like, oh, my God, my dad would love this house. You know, like there are so many times when I think about him, but it's kind of nice now. It's shifting. I sure I want to pick up the phone and call him, but it, it's not just sadness at all. It's I feel his, you know, there's so I run into his friends every day. Not not so much right now, <laughs> but you know, my kids or whatever. Like I just, there's this connection to the city. Thanks to my dad and my mom who both grew up here. Uh, and I'm so grateful for it. And I think about them all the time. I look at trees. It's weird. I look at colors. I look at again, like houses. He loved architecture. He loved old houses. He loved art and was obsessed with that stuff. And so I find, especially with this geography, particular geography, he traveled around the world all over the world and he just but he 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 loved the he loved Fredericton loved the river loved the houses loved the trees loved the and so I find I'm constantly reminded of his presence and it it, it, rather than it weighing me down now it actually kind of lifts me up yeah I I feel something you know very very similar because even when I talk when I talk to you about feeling a void it's um it, the void comes from the nice memories, right? Because it's most of the times where I feel that it's because I'm remembering experiences that we shared or, uh, and also in terms of the geography, I actually live, um, my walk to work, uh, from uptown St. John, he grew up yeah, uptown. Uh, I walk the streets that he walked every day. Yeah. Uh, I walk by, um, a corner on Prince William street in St. John where he was a lawyer in around my age and and he met my mother was working across the street you know so they they, i walked the streets they walked as young people as a young 
couple. And it's so it's it's it, it's a strange way to describe a void, but it's a it's it fills a void, right? Yeah, no, I've been I've been it's been nice to move home. Mm. It's been nice. I felt I felt for a little while I was worried about the pressure of moving back home and filling and, and you know, being I have three brothers and, and I'm the one who lives here now. You know what I mean? Like they've lived they, they would love to live here, but they don't. They live in Calgary, Edmonton and, and Wolfville and they're all very successful and amazing guys. But I, I it presented the opportunity for me to move home. And for a long time, I didn't know if I could kind of like take that pressure of having that role of, of representing my family it sounds crazy but it's how it is you know how it is you said your parents grew up there like they walked the same streets but at a certain point i was like no man my dad was his own guy my dad was his own guy if anything that was what i kind of liked about him he was crazy but he was his own guy and at a certain point that's what you do you 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 live your life like you want to live it and you learn from your parents and you honor their best parts that's what i always you know there was a, per, a point when i had to look back and kind of go you know what my job is to honor the best parts of my dad he didn't have it all sorted out neither do i do you know what i'm saying like that's let's honor the best parts and 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 the the similarities that kind of like drive us crazy and the things that we're afraid of as as people who look to our parents and kind of go oh am i going to become this is this going to happen well you 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 embrace that and you work on it and you open yourself to it, but you honor the best parts, you know, and you work on the parts that you want to change. That's that's all we can do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, before I before I let you go, uh, David, because you've been very generous with your time, uh, I want to touch on on the uh, the show Miles from Home. Um, and uh, I, I have to say I was a little bit intimidated to chat with you today because I. I made the mistake of watching your interview with uh, Tom Power <laughs> last night, and and I watched two very skilled uh, interviewers and uh, chat with each other. And uh, I know you would express something similar to Tom because you had to turn the mic. Oh on, my gosh, on Tom. come on! I mean, he's like he's interviewing the biggest, <laughs> you know, the, the most. You know, he's interviewing people every single day, legends of their fields. You know what I mean? It was wild, but I am having such a great time with that show it's something i've always wanted to do i've always when i heard mark Marin for the first time when i listened to when i listened to his podcast i it opened a door to me and that i went oh you can do this because this is what i i love conversing with people i love chatting I, i'll get in a cab and i'll talk with the cab driver the whole time it, from an air you know what i mean i i that's what i do i love traveling because i love meeting people and when i heard that mark Marin podcast in this long form conversation i went now nah, that's really something i would love to do now how could i do it and for a long time i was always going who do i need how do i pull this off how do i get someone on board a broadcaster blah 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 and if anything this pod this this pandemic has t taught me i gotta be able to do it on my own YouTube is there. Let's figure out how to broadcast a quality looking long form television program without a massive broadcaster behind me. You know what I mean? Without a boss. How can I do that? What would it look like? 
you know, why I don't want to wait. I want to just do it. And so that's what we did. We just, we, we fired it up and every week I'm like, or every month and we do it once a month. And now we're going to, we're launching a podcast too, which will include those conversations and then other conversations I record specifically for the podcast also called miles from home. And it's, it's been such a joy because it's what I've always dreamed of doing. And I felt like I was waiting for permission to do it, or I was waiting for some, someone, you know, a broadcaster or whomever to say, okay, we believe in you. You can do this. Here's a camera person and here's the room you're going to sit in and we're going to do this. And, and then all of a sudden I was like, you know what the world the, with all of its, you know, it, it's tricky that the advantage of technology and you know, this, you, you have a great podcast. You can, if you feel like it, you can do it. You can fire it up. Even if you just have a computer, you can start in each week, each month, I try to up it by getting another light or getting in, you know, up in my camera game or getting a new microphone. And then all of a sudden now it's starting to run where I'm, I'm not thinking about the technological parts so much because it's a ton of craziness that's going on. And I can, I really, even from the beginning, I found that once the conversations go, I can get into them. And then I've, I'm, I just, I learn so much from other people. I feel like I'm so blessed to know a bunch of people that are super interesting and so I hope I get to do it for a long, I would love for that to be part of my job because it's so rewarding. I, I, I share your uh, appreciation for, for Mark Marin because he, it was the same thing. He, he kind of opened my eyes to what, what a podcast could be um, because it is such a different kind of, it is a different form. Like you, you do need to have that appreciation for that, and the patience for that long form conversation and where it will take you. Uh, and he's, he is, he has such a gift for it. Right. Oh yeah. He's just a great, you know, he has such a group so, and they go to different places because you allow the space. It's not it's, just about the newest record. It's not just about promotion. It becomes about uh, who the person is and their feelings. And, and because of that, it's, it's openness and it's non-directional element you go in very cool places. And so that's, the, that's ultimately the main goal of what, what I hope to achieve. Do you see it becoming part of your kind of the business of, of David Miles' life? Like uh, how do you, the, what, where does it fit for you? That's the goal for sure. Absolutely. I think, I think it, it's a natural fit for me. I hope, I feel like I could be good at it. I'm trying to get better at it. I'm, I'm working it. You know what I mean? It's something I really care about. So absolutely. I do think it would be, I think it's, I, I love celebrating other people's art. And so, um, I would love to see it be part of, it is part of my business already. It's been a huge part of what I do right now. It's even including my management and everything else It's what we're working towards. We're constantly, you know, how we monetize it, how it ends up generating income over the long term. You under, you know, this is probably as well as anybody, it's a challenge. And so that that's part of the challenge, but but it's also just about cr making sure that the content I create and I'm putting out there, um, is quality. I'm, I'm excited. I don't think it takes away from my music. I think people getting, having people get to know me as this person, uh, is also very exciting. I think a lot of what I've realized as I get older in this business is that the more you can be yourself and the more people get to know you as yourself, just like we talked about earlier on this idea that, if people will follow you on the journey rather than you trying to provide them with what you think they want, just try to be yourself. And I feel like these opportunities give me that chance for people to really know who I am. 
They know that I love jazz standards. They know that I, you know, I, that I love conversing with people. And, and in these conversations, they learn about me. And then when they come to see me, I don't, I don't have to be someone else. I'm being myself and they're interested in, in the, in what I try to bring to the world with some enthusiasm. And so that's, that's, I think it, it ties together in a nice way now that I've, that I'm excited about and allows me to build what I do without necessarily being on the road 150 days of the year, you know, but intellectually it's so stimulating. It's so stimulating it's, it's, uh, to have these conversations with, with people I, I, I consider super smart and interesting. And so I learn so much. Great. Well, thanks very much, David. I, I really uh, enjoyed talking to you. That was great. Right on. Well, thank you. Thanks for everything you're doing. It's awesome. You've been listening to the latest episode of Home Office. And thank you, David, for that great chat. Home Office is produced by me, Mark Legier, Sharice Letson, and Tyler McLean. And you can subscribe and listen to Home Office on your favorite podcast platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play. Talk to you next week.